So we've been doing a series called 127, taken from Psalm 127. If you open your Bible and look at that, there's probably a little descriptor beside it. It'll say Psalm 127, a song of ascents. And we've learned what that is. The people of Israel, as they were heading towards their religious festivals in Jerusalem, would walk up the top of the hill because Jerusalem's up on the top of a hill. So as they were ascending, they would sing songs of history and reminders of what God had done inside of their lives. And this happens to be one of those songs. Besides that, it will say of Solomon. And we've learned a lot about Solomon, a master builder, a man of wisdom, a bit of a social train wreck. We're going to talk about that this morning. Then a philosopher who, under the guidance of God, had wrote out what we've been dealing with over the last couple of weeks. He said, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise up early. And stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those that he loves. So if you haven't been here over the last couple of weeks, we've pulled a lot of truth out of those two little phrases. If you missed it, let me just catch you up with a bit of a summary, okay? So far, Solomon has said this, the Lord must be the center of every family. Whether it's a traditional nuclear family or a spiritual family or a church family or a single parent family or your extended family or your business family, if God's not at the center of it, you're just involved in vain construction. It's just not going to last. Secondly, we learn the Lord must be the center of our security and our work. If God's not in the middle of everything that we're doing, if God's not in the middle of our watching, even though we're supposed to be watchful, If God's not in the center of that whole thing, it's all for nothing because it's not built on the right foundation. So I put it this way last weekend. The human hand without the hand of God is a waste of time. The human eye without the eye of God is completely and totally in vain because it's God that builds and God that watches and that's what validates our effort and our security. So as we're moving on this weekend... I'm kind of chuckling a little bit at God's ironic sense of humor because I sit down with my Bible different times during the year and I plan out what we're going to do. So for this fall, we're getting ready to finish up one, two, seven in the next two weeks and then we're going to do a series on margins because people around here, you're just way too busy. You don't have any cracks in your life where God can actually show up So we're going to do a series on margins, and then we're going to do a series on out of context. We're going to look at famous verses that we take out of context all the time. Bumper sticker Christianity drives me nuts. Then we're going to do a series called just a better Christmas. We're going to find a better way to do Christmas this year. But when I got ready to do Psalm 127, I I just kind of took the, the chunks of scripture that I wanted to plug in on different particular weeks, and I didn't pay any attention to my life calendar whatsoever. So... This weekend has been an interesting emotional weekend for us. This morning, uh, or this weekend, yesterday morning, I moved my baby girl away to college. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) My little princess is off to college. Yesterday, we were moving her into her dorm. And I'm hauling in her mini fridge and her microwave and her clothes and her Ikea treasures, you know. And, And with every step, I just lose it just a little bit more. Just like, you've got to be kidding me. Because I swear, I swear, she was six years old yesterday. I swear, just just a week ago, we were singing Garth Brooks karaoke together, because that's what McKenna and I used to do. I swear she was painting my nails and styling my hair and turning me into a princess in the McKenna salon. And just in case you're wondering, real men let their little girls paint their nails. Just saying, all right? I mean, we moved her out yesterday. 
And then after the service last night, we took Braden out for his birthday celebration. My, my baby boy, he'd kill me if I said that, but my baby boy, he turned 21. When did that happen? When did that happen? I mean, and, and, and you know, he's living with some amazing guys. He's actually going to graduate from university in a few short months. But I mean, it was just yesterday we were playing Playmobil Castle together. It was just yesterday we were setting up Hot Wheel Mega Loops racetrack courses in his room. So I'm just, a, I'm just a bit of an emotional train wreck. That's a surprise for those of you who know me, right? <laughs> because here are the verses from Psalm 127. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. So this weekend, I'm going to share my pain with you as my quiver has been full, but now is being transformed live and in real time. I want to talk to parents and families and college students and single people and grandparents with this caveat. Whether you have children or not, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have some role as a spiritual parent in this church. And it's your responsibility to look after and model for the generation coming behind you exactly what it looks like to follow Jesus in a mature, balanced, and passionate way. So nobody gets to take a flyer on this one. I don't care if you're a parent or not. This is about the biblical responsibility that each one of us has according to Psalm 127. But let me break it down for you. According to the Bible, children are a gift. Now, some of your scriptures say heritage, but I think a better translation would be a gift. The Hebrew word for gift means an assigned possession, okay? Your children, our children as a church were assigned to us. Some of you as parents are thinking, I don't know about an assigned possession, more like an assigned punishment, okay? We're going to unpack that, all right? No, the Bible says they're an assigned possession, not property, but a possession. It's a piece of you given to you by God to be cherished and nurtured with full understanding that they were God's way longer than they were yours. Every kid in this building at any time always belong to Jesus, will belong to Jesus, and they're assigned to us for a short amount of time, both in, in a regular biological family, but also in a spiritual family. And it's our job to press into them and imprint on them a love for Jesus so that they passionately follow him in everything. In the same vein, God says that children are a reward. The Hebrew word for reward, reward conveys a pleasurable sign of appreciation. Okay, let's just clear this up. Kids are not a burden or a punishment. Some of you are thinking, Grant, you have not met my kids, all right? They are challenging. Not sure I would call them a reward. Some of them actually, you'd look at and say that is divine retribution for the way you treated your parents. And we can talk about that in another time too, right? So many people in our culture today see children as a burden. And the reality is this, there is a weight of responsibility that comes with being a parent. And the burden can be unbelievably, unbelievably difficult and heavy unless you always remind yourself. It's a gift. Psalm 127 also has an interesting word that they assign to children. Solomon calls them arrows. That's a fascinating choice of words. That they're arrows. I actually used to teach archery up in Canada at a camp called Cedarwood. Worked through my national ranking so that I would be able to teach kids how to <laughs> safely shoot bow and arrows. That was an interesting deal. 
And I believe as Solomon begins to unpack this, that, that there's just some unbelievable truth here, you see. An arrow is, is really just a stick unless it's prepared. Proverbs 22 calls us to prepare our kids, both spiritually and biologically. The Bible says, start off a child in the way he should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. Famous way of saying it, train up a child in the way he should go. We're to prepare them. Deuteronomy chapter 4 tells us how, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. These commandments I give today are to be on your hearts. Listen to verse 7. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. Your kids are to be prepared. And that's a responsibility that we all have to participate in. To place in our children a love for God and his words. When the trials of life come, they're ready to take on anything. I mean, think about those words. Imprint, impress, teach, model. So that when your children see how you handle the difficulties of life, they also know what it means to reflect Jesus even when it's tough. I mean, I was challenged one time by a person. I was speaking at like an educational symposium. And he comes up afterwards, he goes, you know what I, you know, just ticks me off about you Christians? You're always trying to brainwash your kids. You want to try to make them all small-minded, and this is the only way to believe? He goes, you just, that's what you're doing, isn't it? You're brainwashing your kids. You know what my response was? You bet I am. You bet I am. You know why? Because if I don't, you will. You will. Let's just not play games here. You will. So am I trying to brainwash my kids into believing that Jesus is everything? Guilty as charged. As parents, we are called to prepare that. Not just for our biological kids, for the spiritual kids that he's entrusted to Christ the King Church. So they're to be prepared. They're also to be directed as arrows. So as parents, if we're going to build a godly home that's going to last into eternity, we are tasked with directing and pointing our kids towards the cross of Jesus, the place where love and humility and sacrifice are learned and lived. Parents, can I just beg you to believe something? You can't just hope your kids end up there. You can't just hope that they're going to end up getting pointed in the right direction. Because I'm going to tell you something about your children. The Bible says that without Jesus, they're like all the rest of us. They are narcissistic, self-centered little savages. It's like, you can't talk about my baby that way. You think that's harsh? Listen to what Scripture says in Psalm 51. David says, surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Most translations say evil, not just sinful. Listen to this one. This is your Bible talking. The wicked crawl out of the wrong side of the cradle. Their first words from the womb are lies, poison, lethal rattlesnake poison drips from their forked tongues. And they are deaf to threats, deaf to charm, because there's decades of wax built up in their ears. (laughs) That's God talking about your precious little baby. (laughs) Who said amen? That's what. (laughs) Proverbs 22. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Now let's be really, really careful with that one. Everybody been watching the headlines over the last couple of weeks when it comes to discipline? Godly discipline of any sort 
is rooted in love, not anger. If you're angry, you're not disciplining anyone except yourself as you walk away and cool off. Godly discipline seeks the best. It never seeks pain. It builds. It's constructive. I'll put it this way. If your discipline doesn't end up at the foot of the cross, it's sin for you. Is that bold enough? It's just vain construction. Now let's face it. Discipline's necessary, right? Without discipline, the lunatics end up running the asylum, okay? That's just, that's just true, right? But it always has to be motivated by God's direction. So, arrows, that's how he describes them. They're to be prepared. They're to be directed, pointed in the right direction. And they also have to be released. I read this verse at weddings all the time. Matthew chapter 19. A man will leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. Biblical truth. At some point got to get out. You have to go. As painful as it is for me to say that today. I mean, my, my wife and daughter are saying goodbye to each other right now. It's just killing me. But the Bible says you got to let them go. You have to let them go when God says it's time to let them go. Not when they say they're ready to go, because they often want to leave way too early or stay way too long. Can I get an amen? All right. At some point, you have to let them fly. There's a caution for parents in the form of an old Greek proverb. You will break the bow if you always keep it bent. Let me say that again. You will break the bow if you always keep it bent. There's a time when you got to release the arrow. Because if you don't, you'll get exhausted holding the bow at arm's length. And it'll start wavering around. And if it doesn't take somebody else out, it'll probably shoot you in the foot. You have to let it go. I would break into a rousing rendition of Frozen's Let It Go right now, but that would be weird, all right? So just take it for what it is. I've been thinking about this all week. This is not what God intended us to understand about Psalm 127. A flimsy little plastic bow with a string that's not very intimidating with a nice safe arrow that's never going to cut into anything. In fact, it'll barely stick. It only sticks if you lick it. (laughs) That's just weird, isn't it? (laughs) You know what's funny? Our technical director couldn't stand it last night. He shot an arrow. It's hanging from the confidence monitor (laughs) right up above your head. So if you guys get... If you get hit with something, that's all calling. <laughs> right? But this is the way it is, right? Oh, no, 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 no. This is what I'm looking for. I want this. I want it to be weak and flimsy. It's got a rubber tip, so it's not going to hurt anybody. It might stick, it might not. Is that really what you're trying to create with your children? Is this what we're trying to produce at Christ the King with the generation that's coming behind us? I don't believe this is the picture that God wanted. I think possibly that this would be a little closer to what David was talking about right here. Yeah. You know what's amazing about this? It's dangerous. These are just target arrows. I took the tips off just in case someone decided to be stupid. 
This bow is strung at lots and lots of pressure. You shoot an arrow out of this, it'll cut. It'll go through steel if you get close enough to it. It's that powerful. It's that strong. You shoot it, it will fly true and straight right to the heart of the cross. This is what Solomon is talking about. Like, let's, let's just compare. You know what's sad? Most of us are actually doing this. I don't want my kid to offend anybody. They might get hurt. I don't want them to stand up for truth in Jesus. They might get persecuted. Solomon says, this is my prayer for your children. That they would understand that in the hands of the perfect archer, meaning Jesus, they're a weapon for the sake of Jesus Christ. You know, this picture kind of comes from four phases of biblical parenting. I wish I had an opportunity to break out all of the scripture. I've done it at different times, but you're going to have to trust me on this one. Every one of us that either has biological children or spiritual children, that would be everybody in the room. We go through phases, right? We start as caregivers. That's when our children rely on us for absolutely everything, right? You feed them, you clothe them, you change them, you rock them to sleep. It's an amazing time. I love the phase when Braden and McKenna were in a car seat, right? It's just that they're in a bucket. I can pick them up and I put them wherever I want to. <laughs> I point them in that direction. I feed them. You know, they can't move. I always know where they are and they just lock in place and it's perfect, right? But there's a time when that's got to stop. If you're still wiping your baby's mouth and his hairline is receding, it's time to stop. (laughs) Stop. In the name of Jesus, stop, all right? Come to Jesus, repent, and both of you grow up, okay? But there's that beautiful phase when we're caregiving. And then we exchange the bucket for a badge, and we become a cop, and there's nothing wrong with that because your children rely on you for boundaries. You've got to lay down the law, right? Don't touch that, sweetie. Don't put that in your mouth, son. Don't walk in traffic. Don't talk to strangers, right? And lots of parents get stuck in this phase. I think it's the easiest one to enter into and the most difficult one to step out of. I'm going to tell you this. If your kid is 28, it's time to surrender the badge, all right? Lay it down. You can't dictate law for a whole lifetime. And then we graduate as parents, spiritual leaders, and we become coaches. And that's when your children rely on you for instruction, but it's a difficult phase because you've got to move off the playing field. You move to the sidelines. And instead of calling all of the shots, you get to shout encouragement because ultimately they're making the decision and they're making the play. And it's hard because your kid might get knocked down and they might get hurt and you're tempted to run out on the field. If you're a mom and your son is playing football and he gets hurt, don't run out on the field. It will not go well for him in the locker room afterwards. Just saying. It's a whole other story, all right? There are exceptions when you need to step in. One of my favorite moments of all time, I was watching the Olympics, 1992, watching the 400 meters. Derek Redmond, an American sprinter, coming around the back stretch, 300 meters in, and his hamstring shreds in the back of his leg. And he drops, and everybody goes flying past him. Officials come to try and help him, and Derek pushes them away, and he gets up, and on one leg, he starts hopping. He starts hopping. 
Because you could just tell, I'm going to finish. I've got to finish. I've got to finish. The cameras are watching him. Officials are coming. He keeps pushing them away, pushing them away. All of a sudden, you see a large man in a white T-shirt and a Nike hat come running up behind him. And Derek pushes him away at first, and then he realizes who it is. Officials come and try and take the man away. They think he's somehow violating security. It was Derek's dad. Google it sometime. Watch the YouTube video. And his dad puts his son's arm around his shoulder, and together they limp and hop the last 100 meters until he crosses the finish line. There is a time to step in, but it's the exception, not the rule, when you're coaching your kids. And finally, here's the stage Laurel and I are at. Yay. <laughs> Consultants. That's when your, your children rely on you for requested advice. Ah. <laughs> I know, arrow to the heart, isn't it? Right? Requested advice. Do I need to define that? That's when they ask you for your opinion before you're just like, this is the way you should do it and you need to be able to do this kind of thing and this is the way it's going to go and this is the way I did it back when the other day. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> right there today, both of my kids. So tempting. I want to put them both back in a bucket. <laughs> I want to go get my badge. I want to blow my whistle one more time. You know, we're learning how to offer advice. We're learning what it means to be asked. We're learning to trust and to let go. You know what's important about this section? It's not for the arrow. This section's for the archer. The Bible says, like arrows in the hands of a warrior, children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. So here's a biblical word for parents. Embrace your assignment. They'll be gone like this. And I'm not just talking biologically. I'm talking spiritually across the board. Embrace the assignment. Enjoy the pleasure of legacy. You know what I love? I love when my phone rings and I hear either a little voice of a female on one end or the little, I still call it, little voice of a man on the other end. Hey, Dad. Do you realize we have the same thing available to us spiritually? Hey, Dad. And then remember, parents, we're supposed to release them towards the cross of Jesus. You know, I assume because of the historical record, the Bible says that Solomon had more than 700 wives. I'm not promoting polygamy, okay? Please get that straight. I'm just making an assumption that with that many wives, even though it was one of the things that Solomon did that God did not bless, that he probably had a lot of kids, right? A lot of arrows. And in his wisdom, he points us all in the godly direction of building a godly family. The Hebrew language is so beautiful, it's so expressive. The root word for son, daughter, and house are all exactly the same root. Solomon doesn't see the wisdom of constructing a house. He only sees the wisdom of building a home. And it's all interconnected, sons and daughters, moms and dads, everyone together. It's a home that we're building. So whether we're building a house or building a home or building a family or building a legacy, they all go hand in hand because Solomon is saying this, unless God builds it, it won't stay built. That's what he wants us to know. 
And he speaks with authority because God is a parent, right? He has sons and daughters. I, I prayed through this week. I'm like, God, every time we talk about parenting, I know there's parents in the room who are just brokenhearted because their kids have made decisions to walk away from the faith they tried to imprint on them. And as I'm praying that through, it was like God the Father came into my office, put his hand on my shoulder and says, remind them that I have prodigals too. God gets prodigals. He chases them. If you're a prodigal, give up. He will chase you. And if you have a praying grandmother, give up sooner than later. <laughs> Your life will be hell until you do, speaking from experience. So as the perfect parent, God desires to release us, all of us, to his family, to his purpose, to his protection. Okay, let's wrap up my little section here. I got to move quickly. Psalm 127 ends with a very confusing phrase. It says, they will not be put to shame when they contend with the opponents in court. What? Some of your uh, translations will say, and they will not be embarrassed when they contend with an enemy at the gate. You know, you read that, try and understand. It's like, what in the world does that mean? And it's a little confusing unless you understand what I call redneck theology, Okay. Redneck theology works like this. Imagine you're a dad and an enemy shows up at your door and wants to try and take something from you that is yours and you love it and you cherish it. Imagine that person just standing at that door and the enemy comes and imagine this conversation happening. If the father at the door in protecting his family kind of straightened his back and said, excuse me, Mr. Enemy, I would rethink coming against me because I may not be very impressive, but you should see the size of my boys. <laughs> Spiritual opposition comes against every family. It will come against this family if we're doing what God has called us to do. But we don't need to worry. You know why? Because we've got sons and daughters in Ferndale and Sutton Valley and downtown and on the south side of the city. We have family at Cornwall and Northside and Emmanuel Bible and First Baptist and Redeemer and Bellingham Covenant. And the list goes on and on and on. You want to pick a fight with us? You better remember, we have large Dutch cousins at North County Christ the King Community Church. We've got some family in Birch Bay and Blaine. And if you pick a fight with one member of the family, you pick a fight with all of us. We will contend with you at the gate. And that's just the part of the family that's nice and tidy. I want to remind you of something. We have a section of our family that meets at the old Holy Smoke Tavern up north. You do not want to mess with those people, I'm just saying. You know what's amazing about family? It brings confidence. So I'm asking you the question. If you're here as a skeptic, if you're checking it out, this is my question. Are you a part of the family of God? Are you, the, are you a child of Jesus? Have you laid down your life fully and completely? Do you understand that there is confidence inside of this family, not because of who we are, but because of who our dad is? That's my prayer for this fall of Christ the King to give people opportunity week after week after week to become a part of the family of God. And as a family of God, to everyone in the room, whether you have biological children or not, we have a parenting responsibility. It starts inside of your home, but it ripples out. So let me say this to you. To, to you. 
If you don't have biological children, here's the biblical mandate. Would you adopt some? And I'm not just talking about on the other side of the world, even though God may call and has called many, many couples from our church to adopt from the other side of the world. Maybe you're supposed to adopt the family that's sitting in the row right in front of you. Maybe you're supposed to watch for a single parent hero in our commons and just simply come alongside and love them and pray for their children. I, we don't have, Laurel and I don't have family around here, which is why I freak people out all the time when I walk through the commons because I'll see people that they know I'm not related to and I'm just like, hi mom, hey pop. We didn't have parents, so we adopted them. And they adopted us. That's how family acts. So we have a decision. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. As challenging as it is, Lord, as we seek to release the next generation towards the cross of Christ, we pray in the name of Jesus that they would fly true and straight to the heart of God. Lord, we need more family here, Christ the King. So Jesus, would you break our heart to the needs around us to the point where we would actually act, that we would reach out and love and encourage and gather? Father God, we want our children to be weapons in the hand of the ultimate archer. So, Lord, would you break us, heal us, teach us what it means to prepare, to direct, and release the beautiful blessing that you've given to us as both spiritual and biological kids. So, Lord, we give ourselves fully and completely to you today. As we walk through this fall, Lord, would you continue to make us a healthier and healthier family that comes alongside of other members who are hurting and points them in the right direction as well. Jesus, thank you that uh, you've blessed us with a next generation. I thank you that they are not the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today. Lord, may we model well what it looks like follow Jesus. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen.